Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello and welcome back to another edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're here to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. It is the end of an era at the Texas Beef Council with a big retirement. I'm Jessica Dommel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. Harvest is underway in the southern plains of Texas. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll talk to a Lubbock area farmer to get an update on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories, plus the latest news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete wrap-up of the markets all coming up. And we'll kick it all off with news headlines. We've seen quite a rally in corn prices this week, spurred initially by USDA's grain stocks report on Wednesday, which surprised the market with much lower corn stocks than anticipated. Texas A&M Grain Marketing Specialist Mark Welch says he's been pleasantly surprised that we've been able to maintain corn prices as high as we have this year. Yeah, thinking back to kind of how this corn market thing looked like back in uh, you know, January and February and early March and, and kind of think of those factors. Of course, we you know had the the corn crop we were carrying forward, we hadn't uh, adjusted it down by the quality and issues we were just talking about in the grain stocks. Um, the planting intentions report, uh, U.S. farmers said they were going to plant 97 million acres of corn this year, but we only planted 92. Well, that, that's a big difference right there. So instead of planting the 97 million acres, we've got 92 million acres. USDA was throwing out a yield uh, there kind of early in the year of something over 180 bushels per acre as a national average corn yield. Well, we've, we've, we've backed that off now to about 178, and, and I, I don't know if that's going to hold or not. We may, may still see that one trimmed a little further. So, but we've, so we've taken out 5 million acres. We've lowered the uh, yield by about three bushels nationwide. And, you know, all those factors kind of start to add up. And then the adjustments that we got uh, yesterday out of the grain stocks report, we're looking at if you if you carry all those numbers together for what it could do to the carryover from the 2020 corn crop. So by the time we get to next August, we could be looking at a carryover that's, a, that's an accumulated billion bushels less than what we thought we were going to have back in February. You know, you got two or three hundred million bushels here and three or four hundred million bushels here and take out the acres. And, and we're going from a three point three billion bushel carryover. Now, likely we'll be looking at a number like you know two point two to two point three. Welch says this is a very good opportunity to consider pricing any unsold 2020 corn as well as locking in a portion of the 2021 crop. We may get some opportunities to to sell some uh, something on the December corn crop. 2021 above four dollars and the last five or six years that has not been a bad place to be 
so again, it, it's it's good to have your have your paperwork done, have your budgets built, and now we can have some conversations around what some uh, marketing programs and marketing tools and a marketing plan might look like, uh, given this uh, reset in the markets that we've seen here in the just the last couple of days. Uh, you know, something on that four dollars on that December twenty twenty one contract. Uh, gosh, uh, you know that that's hard to just let that go completely. Not all, no, what sell hundred percent at that, but would you start doing something? You know, thinking that if that was the worst sale that you made next year, that that ten percent you sold at four bucks, if that was the worst thing you sold, uh, you know, what's your financial position going to be? And if the price doesn't keep going higher, you know, gosh, wouldn't you be glad you got something done? So, you know, everybody's going to look at those differently, different your cost structure, but definitely look at it and have our choice whether we did something or not how that uh, would uh, assess that against our marketing plan uh, for 2021, uh, because it's, uh, it's not just a missed opportunity, it's a choice. And, uh, and, and let's be uh, uh, considerate in what that choice we decide uh, will be to do. Welch says farmers should be running the numbers on expenses and expected yields in order to take the best advantage of safety net programs, crop insurance, and this recent price rally. It's the end of an era at the Texas Beef Council with a big retirement. Jessica Domel has more on the tenure and legacy of Richard Wortham. After 30 years with the Texas Beef Council, Executive Vice President Richard Wortham will retire at the end of the year. Wortham got his start with the Beef Council in the late 1980s, joining his wife Pam, who was the council's graphic designer. During his tenure at the Beef Council, Wortham has seen a lot of changes, including the passage of the Beef Checkoff referendum. I've actually been able to see a lot of different things and, and really kind of have been with the checkoff really since really the very beginning. And what was really encouraging to me is that after two failed referendums in the in the late 70s and early 80s, the producers came together and voted in this program. And I've seen it evolve over 30 plus years. I've seen it go from kind of a hope and a promise to actually de- delivering the results that producers expect and, and depend on. And, and so to me, I've, I've seen a you know, the program grow from kind of a infant stage or a youth stage to really a more mature stage and being able to adapt and adjust to the different conditions and the consumer preferences. And so this isn't a thing you just put down on a piece of paper and you follow the plan every year because it's going to continue to evolve. And, and I think that's one of the good things that we've tried to do is, and accomplish is, is to evolve with consumers and their attitudes and their preferences and, and help keep beef top of mind with consumers. Wortham said a lot of work went into getting the beef checkoff passed, and it does a lot of work to promote Texas and U.S. beef both at home and abroad. He said sometimes we become complacent with the beef checkoff because for some of us, it's always been around. I think what producers fail to remember is how hard and how long the industry worked to get this current checkoff in place. As I mentioned earlier, you had two failed referendums in the late 70s and the early 80s. And, uh, you know, getting the industry aligned as far as kind of what they wanted to do was a challenge. And I think we also have, as you look at that new generation of producers coming in, in some cases, some of those producers who are paying in the checkoff now weren't even born. I think the biggest challenge as we look at this is that, and obviously there's there's talk about 
potential referendums. And, you know, if that's the case, it's it's not whether you make changes to a checkoff, uh, it's whether you want to keep it. And so the question is, if producers decide that they don't want to have a checkoff program, they need to do a, a really good job of thinking about, well, what's what's going to take its place? Because if, if the industry doesn't promote its own product, then nobody else is going to do it for them. And, and we'll have lost our ability to reach consumers through the air promotion, research and education. That was Richard Wortham, the executive vice president of the Texas Beef Council. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. Harvest is underway in the southern plains of Texas. Tom Nicoletti talks with a Lubbock area farmer to get an update. We go to the South Plains of Texas and catch up with uh, Eddie Griffiths uh, to talk about uh, the harvest out there. And uh, corn harvest has uh, already begun. Cotton harvest is upcoming. Eddie, uh, tell us about uh, these harvests and uh, what producers are hoping for. Well, as we watch combines roll through the field here in West Texas, Tom, corn silage started a few weeks ago. Now you're starting to see some of the uh, combines start to run out in the corn and and get get that a uh, crop out of the field. We'll be seeing corn harvest for a while. There have been producers that opted to grow corn after either filled out cotton or some other crop if they have irrigation. And we'll probably see corn harvest go until the middle or later part of, of November. Cotton harvest uh, haven't actually seen a cotton strip running in the field yet, but I've seen fields that have been defoliated and will be coming out of the field pretty quick. You'll see cotton strippers running here in West Texas. Producers are trying to get everything ready for the cotton harvest, get uh, last-minute details done, whether it be wheat planting or just getting harvest equipment ready to go, and then also seeing irrigation going on, wheat in the area, trying to get an early start on that wheat for grazing, for cattle during the winter months, and for the most part, the irrigated wheat looks pretty good at this time. We do need some moisture for that dryland wheat. There are a few patches out there that uh, have gotten some rain and, and is emerging, but to be able to sustain a good stand of wheat out there, we do need to get some moisture. Yes, all this work that you uh, detailed, uh, certainly farmers and ranchers are able to, to do that, but they still need uh, some uh, precipitation as well. We need some precipitation, and, you know, we have been seeing cooler temperatures that uh, have maybe slowed down some of the crop a little bit. You know, it was able to speed up because of all the heat from the summer. But the, the later planted crops, maybe some of the later corn and also the sorghum crop, I mean, it, it lacks a little bit to get to maturity, and a little bit of moisture probably would help that crop to get to the finish line. That is Eddie Griffiths reporting for us today from West Texas. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. A bill introduced in the Senate this week provides agricultural producers much-needed flexibility for hauling agricultural commodities and livestock. And newborn calves typically have a decreased breathing rate, but there are a few tricks you can use to get them breathing. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has some advice coming up on Texas Ag Today.
After my first car accident, I feared the biggest damage would be to my wallet. I expected a mountain of bills and a long, drawn-out process. But my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent was there when I needed her and helped me get back on my feet and in my car in no time. Instead of a hassle, I got reassurance and a quick recovery. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an agent who's there when you need them most. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. A bill introduced in the Senate this week provides agricultural producers much-needed flexibility for hauling agricultural commodities and livestock. Michael Clements has more from Washington. Legislation introduced by Senator Deb Fisher of Nebraska would provide flexibility in hauling livestock and perishable commodities. Andrew Walmsley, American Farm Bureau Federation Congressional Relations Director, says the Halls Act would extend hours of service exemptions in agriculture to year-round. The Halls Act is an important piece of legislation introduced by Senator Fisher of Nebraska. She's been working with a group of ag commodity organizations and other ag haulers to listen to the needs of the industry, and so she's developed this bill that will provide three things to modernize trucking regulations and make a benefit for the safety and efficiency of hauling ag products. Farm Bureau and other agriculture groups support the legislation. Walmsley says the changes include removing seasonality restrictions. Most states have gotten rid of seasonality of planting and harvest seasons. When you're moving livestock, that's a year-round enterprise. And so it's Congress recognizing the growing seasons really all year-round for a lot of ag commodities. Second piece would provide 150 air mile exemption on the destination of halls. And then finally, the legislation would update the definition of an ag commodity. Wamsley says the legislation promotes safety for drivers and animals. One of the unique situations that we find ourselves in agriculture is that we are sometimes dealing with live animals or perishable commodities. The animal piece is really key in where we need to make sure that we're using common sense and have the needed flexibilities to ensure safety. That's what the Halls Act looks to do is to make sure that perishable commodities like livestock can get to their destination safely, that driver can get to their destination safely, and then that driver rests. Michael Clements, Washington. Newborn calves typically have a slow breathing rate right after they're born, but there are a few tricks you can use to get them breathing. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a look at some of those tricks. If you have a fall calving season for your cow-calf herd, calving will be starting right away. Many cows and heifers need assistance when calving. And Dr. Glenn Selk from Oklahoma State indicates in Bovine Veterinarian that all of these calves have some degree of respiratory acidosis. Respiratory acidosis is due to the decreased oxygen and increased carbon dioxide that occurs as the calf passes through the birth canal. The excess of carbon dioxide results in a chemical imbalance in the blood called acidosis, And if the calf pants after birth, they can blow off CO2 from the lungs and correct the problem. However, many calves are depressed and will not breathe well enough to accomplish this. So we have to make them breathe. To stimulate respiration, manually clear the mouth and nasal passages of fluid and mucus with your hand and a bulb syringe to suction the areas. Traditionally, calves that were weak and not breathing well were held up by their back legs to allow fluid to drain from the airways. However, Dr. Selk indicates this practice is not recommended to clear the airways because most of the fluid that drains out when you hold the calf upside down by the back legs is stomach fluid, 
which is important to the calf's health. Holding the calf by the back legs also puts pressure on the diaphragm and interferes with normal breathing. The same goes for hanging the calf over a fence and is not recommended. A better method is to tickle the inside of the calf's nose with a straw to stimulate them to breathe. With this method, most calves will snort or cough, which expands the lungs. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Cattle futures had a mixed week, but we did pick up $3 in the cash fed cattle trade. Plus, we saw a big jump in the grain markets. Did we hold on to that? We'll take a look back and see coming up next on Texas Ag Today. Truck drivers, if you're stuck on a railroad crossing, don't just sit there. It takes a freight train more than a mile to stop, even in an emergency. So by the time you hear this, it could be too late to save your truck and maybe your license or your life. Instead, immediately get out of your truck, away from the tracks, and call the number on the emergency sign at the crossing. That gives the railroad a chance to stop trains before they get to you. Always call the emergency number. It could save your truck, your license, and your life. Go to OLI.org for info. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Well, the cattle market started off strong early in the week, but we wrapped it up weaker as we moved through the week. We had lower closes both Wednesday, Thursday, and on Friday. We ended up with a lower market. October live cattle down 35 cents, 108.17. The December down 72 at 111.10. February live cattle down 75 Closing the week at 114.72. Same thing on feeder cattle. October feeders down a dollar two, 139.90. November feeders down a dollar 37, 139.87. January feeder cattle down a dollar 55 at an even 138. Looking at the cash markets, well, it was an active Fed cattle trade Wednesday and Thursday, somewhat quiet on Friday. But the bottom line this week, we added another $3 to the cash Fed cattle market. Most of our sales here in Texas and up in Kansas coming at 107. That's three bucks higher than the 104 we saw last week. Boxed beef higher on Friday. Choice up a dollar seventeen to twenty fifteen. Select up forty three cents to o eight o five. Now let's check a couple of feeder cattle auctions. We'll start in Columbus, Texas. Columbus Livestock selling 1,609 head on Thursday. The trend was steady to lower. Two to three weight steers, $1.50 to $1.95 a pound. Three to 400 pounders, $1.35 to $1.95. Four to five weight steers, $1.25 to $1.80. Five to six weights, a dollar fifteen to a dollar fifty-five. Six to seven hundred pounders, a dollar five to a dollar forty. With seven to eight weight steers bringing ninety cents to a dollar twenty-six a pound. Slaughter cows, twenty to sixty-five cents. Slaughter bulls, sixty-two to eighty-four. Stocker cows, five fifty to eleven fifty a head. Cow calf pairs, seven fifty to fourteen twenty-five a pair. Mid tax livestock in Anderson, Texas, one thousand eight hundred thirty head sold on Thursday. The trend was steady to higher, with two to three weight steers bringing a dollar twenty-five to two ten a pound. Three to four weight steers, a dollar forty-three to two o five. 
Four to five hundred pounders, a dollar thirty-four to a dollar ninety-five. Five to six weight steers, a dollar twenty-six to a dollar sixty-five. With six to seven weights bringing a dollar twenty to a dollar forty, and those heavy seven to eight weight steers, a dollar fifteen to a dollar thirty-eight a pound. Slaughter cows, twenty to sixty cents a pound. Slaughter bulls, sixty-five to eighty-five cents. Stocker cows, five hundred to eleven fifty a head. Cow calf pairs, seven fifty to twelve hundred a pair. Now we'll step back over to the futures board. Lean hogs wrapping up the week mixed. October up thirty-five, seventy-four fifty. December hogs down thirty-five, sixty-two fifty. Class three milk was higher. October up seventeen cents at twenty eighteen a hundred weight. November milk up twenty-two, nineteen thirty-six a hundred. Well, the cotton market traded both sides of the market. It was initially lower, getting pressure from the financial markets. Of course, the financial markets a bit spooked on Friday morning when President Trump and the First Lady announced that they had tested positive for COVID-19. However, we ended up turning it around to close slightly higher. We closed with December cotton up 12 points, 65.91. March cotton up 16, 66.70. In the grain markets, boy, what a week. That USDA stocks report out on Wednesday really gave these markets a boost. Kansas City wheat market, we're now at five-month highs, well above $5 on just about all the nearby contracts. The December wheat contract up 2 and a half at 509 New crop, July Kansas City wheat up two and three quarters, 5.30 and a quarter. The corn market pulled back a bit. December corn down two and three quarters, closing at 3.80 a bushel. In the energy markets, lower prices. November natural gas down five cents, 2.46. November crude oil down $1.53, 37.19 a barrel. Financial markets, Dow Jones Industrial down 15 points at 27,801. The S&P 500 down 21, 3,359. The Nasdaq down 213, 11,114. Well, that wraps up our look at the markets. That wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Thanks so much for joining us. As always, we'll be right back here next time to bring you all the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin for Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.